the title of the message today is Two Emojis. You're welcome. And if you can figure it out, you're welcome. And if you want to start quietly texting me suggestions for what we call the message when we put it online, you can do that as well. Did anybody ever hear about this guy's story? Do you know who this guy is? His name's like Aaron Ralston or something like that. And if you saw the movie, I think it's called 127 Hours, which came out maybe 10 years ago. You might have seen a dramatization of this guy's story. Um, I don't think he's a saint or necessarily someone to emulate, but his story was he went for a hike one day and didn't tell anywhere, anyone where he was going, which isn't wise. If you're traveling alone, uh, someone should know where you're going just in case you disappear. But anyhow, he was hiking in some areas, and he was going through this little like crevice or crevasse or whatever you call it, and a boulder fell and pinned his hand against the wall, and he spent the next five days wishing someone would come and discover him and rescue him, and eventually had to cut off his own arm in order to save his life. And that's why he's got that like bionic axe jobby, which actually looks pretty appealing. I I kind of feel if you were preaching and you were the kind of person that had an arm-waving move, but you also had a bionic axe as one of those arms, not only would you start, like, triggering people's memories about 1980s um, Transformers, am I right? Am I right? The battle between Optimus and Megatron atop of the, the, the energy dam, and he, got, he has the axe, and the, someone has the, Whatever. I just feel like you're getting taken seriously, or people would never come back. I think those would be one of the two options, or you'd have a big red splotch on your leg before you're done. Uncoordinated people should not have bionic axe hands. Anyhow, this story reminds me of something Jesus said once, which was this. Mark 9:42 says this, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone, which is a big like rock that people would carve into a round shape that you would twirl around. If you've been to the Mennonite Heritage Village, you've seen a humongous one of those in the windmill, but they spin against another stone in order to grind down grain into a powder. But it'd be better for him if a great millstone was hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And this hiker, after five days out in a relatively hot place, going somewhat delirious, watching his own arm decompose right in front of him, had to make a choice. Do I want to die with two hands? Or do I want to live with one hand? And he made the choice and got an axe out of it, or a pickaxe. So this is a funny funny verse to start off my preaching career in the new year, and everybody excited. In fact, one person, when I was telling them about it recently, was like, oh, good. You know, this is going to be a great, encouraging... Now that we're all back after the short... short uh, the shorter services, we had no child care, and I noticed that there were about 150 people not here, especially, you know, people with little ones, not that I'm judging, but Navy SEALs. Anyhow, um, we're all back together, and let's start off the year with something really discouraging. But I don't think so. I've been spending a few months just trying to understand the mind of Christ when he would say to people he loves, Hey, if your hand is causing you to sin, you need to cut that thing off. 
And if you keep reading, he goes on and says, and if your foot is causing you to sin, cut that thing off. It's better to hop your way one-legged into heaven than to be standing there and lose it all. Or if your eye is causing you to sin, gouge that thing out. It's better to go blind into eternal life than be able to see clearly, physically, and lose it all. And so I'm thinking about this, and I don't want to just get up here this morning and say, and give the impression that Jesus is cruel, that Jesus is mean, that Jesus is careless, that Jesus is thoughtless, that Jesus is unsympathetic, that he's, that he's just like a suck-it-up-buttercup kind of person, because he, he isn't. I notice that if you think your way through all four Gospels, physically, nobody ever went to Jesus and came away from Jesus with less hands or legs or eyes. Right? So number one, this is he's not talking physically. He's not advocating for self-mutilation. He's not saying cutting's going to help you or anything like that. It doesn't. In fact, the Apostle Paul will write later, he'll saying, there are people who think that harsh treatment of the body can really change your soul, and it doesn't work. You can't harm yourself into holiness. What you need is Jesus to change your heart by the power of God. So we know, we know that when Jesus is talking about this stuff, he isn't talking about hand stuff. In fact, the, the, the normal thing that happened is that people who were missing a workable hand would meet Jesus and go away with two hands working. Or people who couldn't walk would go to meet Jesus and then walk away from him. Or people who couldn't see would meet Jesus and then their eyes were working again. That was normal, right? Anybody, if you have read a gospel, am I telling the truth here? Okay, so Jesus' expectation isn't actually that we would mutilate ourselves. He's a healer. And he's a burden bearer. He's not saying, go away and fix yourself. Jesus said to us, if any of you are burdened, come unto me, and I will give you rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You will find peace for your soul. So he is not saying, go away, hurt yourself, go away, suffer, and maybe you'll make it. Because he's actually calling everybody, come to me, and I will carry you. That's his message to the world. You can make it on your own. So come to me, and I will carry you. However, this Jesus who healed pretty much everybody who asked him, plus some, and who says to you, I will carry you the rest of your life and all of eternity too, also says to us, hey, if your hand's a problem, ditch it. So, and I also just want to think through this really clearly because I know that Jesus doesn't think that hands and eyes and legs cause sins. Right? There was this big dust-up Jesus had with the leaders of his day because... What was it? The, the Pharisees who were like the, <laughs> the pastors of the day. Oh, man, it's so funny. Anyhow... Um, they were upset because his disciples weren't washing their hands the right way. And Jesus, who is usually pretty calm, he kind of freaks out on the, the Pharisees and says, you guys just can't get it right when you're using the Bible. You, you, you just make up extra rules. You don't do the things God wants you to do. You try to enforce people to do the rules you made up. Ah! And he kind of goes after them. And afterwards, they kind of say, like, Jesus, what were you trying to say? And I'll read this portion. This is from Matthew 15. 
And it says this. He says, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And then his disciples were really like, they didn't get it. And so they say, explain it to us. And in verse 16 he says, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into someone's mouth passes through the stomach and then is expelled? So food can't make you unclean because it's just future toilet stuff. But he says, but what comes out of the mouth comes from your heart. And that's what wrecks you. For what comes out of your heart is evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness or lying or slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat without unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And, and I think it would be so impossible for us to understand how like culture violating Jesus was doing when he talked about this, to go to people and say, their whole culture was about cleanliness. Their whole culture, you got to wash this, you can't touch this, you touch that, you can't go to the temple, you got to watch this, you got to watch that. They were just so crazy for it. And Jesus like, you know, that's not actually doing anything. It's supposed to be symbolic, but you don't even like listen to the symbolism. It's your heart. It's all. It's going to be your heart. It's your heart. Newsflash. Your biggest problem is your own heart, says the Lord Jesus. So what's with the cutting then? So I'm ahead of myself a little bit, but I just, this is such a bizarre saying for Jesus the healer, who knows that sin comes from the heart and not your hand, to say to people to do. And so I want to understand, because not only do I think that Jesus was God and king, but I actually think he's a genius too. I actually think he gets people. And so when he tells people things, he actually knows he's right. You know. Surprise, surprise, you met a Christian who thinks that Jesus is right. So let's go into the context a little bit. I'm quoting from Mark here. There's another passage in Matthew. In the Matthew passage, this kind of talk follows right after this uh, exhortation Jesus gives for people to not think that just because they haven't slept with their neighbor's wife, they haven't that they've avoided adultery, but instead to think that it's just about what's going on in your heart that matters, and then to cut off your hand if it's going to lead you to sin. But in Mark, the context is this. Jesus is beginning to try to get his under, disciples to understand that he's on the way to the cross. Um, the disciples think that they're all... Okay, so who won the World Cup this year? Somebody help me out. I, even if I knew, I would have forgotten. So who won the World Cup? Argentina won. Okay, and who was the guy who, who was like the main guy? who? Messi. Thank you. They all think they're Messi teammates heading to the World Cup. We're the best team with the best guy who can do the best things, and we've got this in the bag. That's what they think. The disciples think, haven't you seen him heal? Haven't you seen him talk? He never loses a fight and he can tell storms to shut up and it listens. Like, he is the unstoppable. So we are Argentina. We are Messi. We're heading to the World Cup. This is going to be wonderful. And Jesus starts trying to tell them, when we get to the World Cup, I'm going to get surrounded by a mob and beaten to death and it's going to be great. And they just don't even have an ear to hear it. 
or a heart to understand. And he's trying to get them. He keeps telling them, guys, look, read the Old Testament and I'm telling you the truth. I'm on my way to crucifixion. We are not going to look like winners for a long, long time. And on the way, he interrupts them. They're having this argument about who's the greatest disciple. So they know Jesus is messy, but like, does messy have a sub-captain? Was there somebody else that scored a goal? Somebody who knows something about the World Cup? I know soccer is a game where they do their best to not be able to score goals. They put the goalposts as far away from each other as possible so that you have to run a half marathon just to be able to try to kick the ball at it. And it's just like... If you're a basketball fan, you're just like, why would you even, ah, we get 100 points a game, ah. There's a lot more of a dopamine feedback with basketball, because it's like you're always, whatever. So they're arguing about who's the greatest on the way to watch the person they think is the greatest to lose publicly as horribly as possible. And Jesus starts to correct them about that. And he takes this little child and he says, you guys need to become like a little child. Stop thinking like grown-ups and that winning is like being like a grown-up winning. You just need to be a child, small, vulnerable, needy, and come to God needing. Be as great as a kid. And then they start to argue with Jesus and they say, well, we saw these other people doing this stuff that we're doing and we told them to stop. And he corrects them again. And that's when he says these really powerful words. When it comes to kids, if you wreck their faith, it'd be better. And if your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. And so this is Jesus' mindset. I'm about to go and suffer horribly to rescue you from your sin. And I'm calling you as well to have a relationship to sin that's kind of like that. And I think if you're trying to just hear what Jesus is saying, is he's, he's watching his friends who he loves just not get it. And he's trying to convince them to believe that they seriously need to do whatever it takes to stay walking with God in the truth no matter what. That's the point. And I think we can learn a few things about this. Number one, when Jesus is talking about this, we know he's not physically talking about cutting, but I think he gets people. There are things that we think are us, the real us, the true us, or that we really need, that we really are better off without to get Jesus. And to get more of Jesus. And to stay close with Jesus. There are things we think we have to have. And have to be. It feels like it's my hand. It feels like it's my eye. It feels like it's my foot. But Jesus is saying, actually, if you get rid of that thing you think is you, you'll become the truer you you're always meant to be. Closer to who you're going to be in heaven than who you are if you get to get your own way here. Has nobody ever had that experience before? 
where you lost something you thought you needed and then a couple months later you're like, actually life's a lot better without that thing. So just a tiny little, because again, dopamine, I'm trying to not be a dopamine addict anymore, but like months ago I shared that I was trying to get off YouTube because it was my biggest time waster ever, but I, I could only get so far as like, not watching the videos, but I would still go and look at the thumbnails that I remember. And I was just like, ah, it's so weird being a human being. Well, I'm off the YouTube and I'm off like a lot of stuff. And all of a sudden I do find I just have a bit more attention and energy for healthier things. Now, what's the problem? I'm just like buzzing around more often when other people are trying to relax. And it's just like, you're doing all this stuff right now. It's not making me having a hard time relax, but... I'm discovering you do not need to watch YouTube to be a real human being. (laughs) Young people. (laughs) That is just the shallowest thing. But the disciples thought they needed to be the greatest disciple. And what they needed to be was like more humble. And I just, I just want to invite us like, to submit the list of things we think we need to whether or not it's actually helping us in our walk with Christ. Like with visible fruit. Can you point to how it's helping you? But if it actually is like a stumbling point to falling into sin or falling into temptation... Do you ever notice when you're on the merry-go-round and you're like, oh, I, I sinned again, I sinned again, and I sinned again, and I, there is something in your head and you, your heart you think you need. When it's cut off, you'll eventually be much happier with Jesus. That's the truth. Point number two here. I got lots of points. Sorry, there's, 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 there's like a cactus. There's going to be points everywhere. It's amazing to me the high degree of personal responsibility that Jesus gives his disciples here. I hear it sometimes when we're talking. I, I listen to people when they're talking about their struggles, and I know how my own heart works. And sometimes you can catch yourself praying to God, would you rescue me from this trouble I keep doing? And you're almost talking to him like it's God's job to do the work. And sometimes almost to the point of like blaming him. God, how come I'm not better yet? And God just says, I see you there with both your eyes and both your hands and both your feet. And this is crazy. Just look at this. Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just like sin against our culture here. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better. So... We're responsible for our influence on other people, right? If you influence people away from God, it's not good. And if you influence yourself away from God, you're responsible too. But there is not a category in here for you not being responsible for you being influenced away from God. 
If someone has set you up for unbelief, God will deal with them. You're responsible for whether or not what you do with it. That's crazy. But I think it's time for every believer to start paying more attention to the power of how they were born again and not about how they were born and to really believe that you are raised up with Christ and that's more powerful than how you were raised. God will deal with those that messed up your childhood. It's time for you to deal with your adulthood. And you'll know, you'll know when the grime from the past is influencing your grind today, and you can look at everything that happened and praise him and see how that made you more of a fighter in the kingdom and more powerful in the Holy Spirit, you'll know you've arrived. But when you're telling God, when you're telling someone who was dead for two days that what happened to you in the past eradicates what God wants to do to you in the present and what God has planned for you in the future, you're wrong. And something needs to get cut out. And you'll be way happier with the bionic acts of experiencing the grace of God than having both your flesh hands, metaphorically speaking. Crazy! And these hard words from someone who went and endured the hanging, suffocating death of the cross for people like me and you too. This is another thing that I love, that it talks about is you can always work on you. You're as free as you want to be. So thank you, worship leaders, for bringing up the story of Paul in prison. He was literally in prison. But he was so free. Singing, happier, happy singing, happier than many of us are when we're going through the drive through of McDonald's and we're about to get that sodium, fat, carb fix that we love and need. Him in prison, shackled, and he's so satisfied and so free in Jesus that when the earthquake comes and breaks their chains and tears down the wall, they stay there. And there's something about godly grind where you're not trying to hand off trouble until it's done its good work. That sounds like a Bible verse somewhere. And you can be free wherever you're at with Jesus. You always have a hand you can cut off, no matter what your circumstances are. But we always do this. Like, I can't be free because my mom, my dad, the past, the money, the government, blah, 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 blah. There's always something that we tell ourselves will keep us from growth in Christ. Jesus says, no, you can always cut off the next hand. You can always be freer. You can always get more of me. You can always work on something. You can always fight. You can always grow. You can always grind. That's the mindset of Christ. You, you can always get freer. Which I love. 
I love this. I just, this is a crazy. The worst moments of my life have always been when I feel trapped and how I respond to feeling trapped. We get angry when we're trapped. We panic when we feel trapped. We attack people when we feel trapped. We type things and post things that are crazy when we feel trapped. People who know that you can always grow in Jesus no matter what, never are trapped. So one of the worst moments of my life and my career, whatever, I wish Dave were here, but it's appropriate. He's not. Um, I just, it was a bad moment. And Dave says to me, Rob, if you change, everything else changes. You can say this thing and that thing and this person. I, all I can see is terrible. Dave says, if you change, then everything you see changes. You can always get freer yourself. And so that does change things. Your future is full of opportunities to become more like God. End of story. No matter what happens. It's great. Do I need another? Whatever. And so what this really does for us is it helps us have the opportunity to change our ideas of discomfort. Maybe, Vince, you can bring that thing in for me from over there. Because for me, this is like... The thing that about, like, why didn't Jesus say, well, if a book causes you to sin, return it to the library? Or if your phone causes you to sin, get rid of the smartphone. How come it has to sound so personal and painful and working? Uh, Yeah, sure. Okay, now that it's on its way up, I won't say no. Sorry, Lisa, there may be some stuff here. But I think one of the reasons we don't want to think this way is because of... How uncomfortable metaphors about cutting feel. Am I right? It's hard. And we live in a culture where freedom, we might define it as like the ability to get you what you want without pain. That's what freedom is. The ability to get what you want without discomfort. When really, Christian freedom is the ability to get more of Jesus. And real freedom is the ability to get more of Jesus in every situation. So, do you want to cut, like, a cow leg up with me? Okay. So, I'd like to thank Matt and the good folks at Unger's for supplying this. Oh, it's still bleeding. The carpet looks okay. Did you see how Darren reacted about an empty cup? Whoa, better watch out there. <laughs> Just kidding. I've got, I've got stuff. This isn't going to be like the eggs thing from years back. It smells bad. Should have gotten you to season it, Matt, before you gave it to me. But like, this is what we're talking about. This bone, uh, there's cartilage. There's fat. To get through there is 
time and work. I think Matt said this would be easier. I'm going to finish. Finish what you start. Navy SEALs. Navy SEALs. Navy SEALs. And I know we're laughing, but imagine this was still your arm. But you know, if you don't do this, it's going to kill you. And as much as we're laughing, like there are people in this room right now who know that. Man, if I don't get rid of this thing, it is going to kill me. And it's a heart issue. It's always a heart issue. And yes, sometimes we need to change our circumstances, and sometimes we need to not get together with people that we used to, but it's not them. Because Jesus could go and meet with them, and he'd be okay. It's our heart. Heart needs to change. Really sorry about this. I know it looks easy from where you are, but what is this thing I'm struggling with here, Vince? Oh, you only know pigs. That's what you said. So, if you're new here at Calvary Chapel, one of my spiritual gifts is making things awkward. (laughs) There we go. It still won't give. There we go. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Can you just imagine the tears and the vulnerability and the constant message in your brain? Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Have you ever been there? Like, give up, leave, quit, hide, run. And there's just something where Jesus says to us, I have already done all the hard work to get you forgiven. I've already done all the hard work to bring you home to God. I've already chosen to love you forever if you'll receive me. But there's this part of your life that's yours still to do which is to make the choice and follow through with my help. But there is no... When your heart's the problem, the only way out is for your heart to change. God can help you, but he says you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. We, it takes us too. So how to successfully cut off your hand? Here are some thoughts from me. I'm enjoying cutting off my hands more than ever. Number one, believe in God's love and forgiveness in Jesus. And I think that this is the thing that makes it totally different than every other kind of self-help or self-motivation or self-transformation is we don't do it to get love or to achieve anything. We do it because we are loved. So I wake up in the morning. I used to talk about how I wake up, and my wake-ups would be so bad for so many years. I'd just wake up, and all my problems were, like, right there in my brain. Sometimes they're still there, but when I wake up, my morning routine is just to wake up and say, in my heart, hi, Jesus. 
I'm loved, chosen, and blessed. Just keep saying that because it's true until that's the landscape of what you do. No good thing's going to come into your life apart from the love of God. Number two, walk in the light. Secrets make you sick. You never really get free of weights you're carrying. Tell the truth. How are things going? How are they really going? How are they really, really, really going? Number three, work on the interior you. Um, did you notice how when the meat came out, I, I commented on the smell? I'm a meat sniffer. <laughs> because one time we, we, we let the meat get too warm and it smelled a little bit sour and that's a sign you're not supposed to use it. So now I always like, you give it that like, is this fresh test? And I have built the habit by the grace of God to be sniffing my heart all the time. And even if a little bit of anxiety comes up, okay, what's up with that? I start talking to God right away. God, I'm feeling some anxiety. I want you involved in this. I don't want this to be my boss or control me. I know this doesn't have to end my day or control my day, but I see some. If I start feeling angry or resentful, okay, Lord, it's right there. I'm sniffing. I smell it. I'm not going to pretend it's not there like I've hit a skunk and it's stuck in the grill of my car and people are like, what is that? I don't know, you know. I just took it to the garage and maybe it was somebody else. I just want to keep working on the interior me. I'm trying to do this in our home more often. Um, A wise person said once, like, we get so tripped up thinking that we can just keep making our lives better by telling other people to change. If you guys would just change, you know how much easier my life would be? You know how much less stress would have if you would just change and you would just change and the government would change and the policies would change and Twitter would change? If all those guys would just be different, then I could be better. But it's like, no, if I just keep working on me and staying in relationship with people, then everyone else is at their best opportunity to grow with me. But it's weird. Once you start criticizing people to change... They tend to not change. Have you noticed that? How, how's the nagging going? Are, you're achieving lots? We don't. We, we don't get, I'm just so practical, we don't get lots done with nagging. We get so much more done by just furiously trying to grow in Jesus, believing in his love, and staying in relationship with each other. So that when they see a good example or when they want to change, you're right there. Uh, Four, humble humble yourself to get grace. One of the most important verses in the Bible, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I love the fact that if you just humble yourself, be lowly, confess your sins, admit your fault, don't be judgmental, God shows up in your life to do what you can't do. That's what the grace is. That's what grace means. God doing what you can't earn. God giving you what you never deserve. That's grace. And if you just walk humbly with God, he just follows you around with his grace gun, hosing down every situation you find yourself in. It's really bizarre. I've never been more useless at Calvary Chapel, surrounded by people moving in the grace of God. And part of it's just like, you just... Keep humbling yourself. And God blesses everything.
Number five, forget yesterday in the right way. That's what I'm poking at a little bit. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians. This guy who went to jail and was singing. Oh, I've lost it. He talks about how everything he's gained in his life, all his trophies, all his accomplishments, his heritage... He treats it like a bunch of uh, used kitty litter compared to the knowing God. He says this, For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, righteousness from God that depends on faith, like as a gift that you get just for trusting. He says that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, including cutting off your hands sometimes, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. And then he says, it's not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he says that those of us who are mature think this way. There's something about the cross of Christ that lets the past be the past. Without the cross, all of human history is just going through the same thing. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. You hurt me, sometimes in families, sometimes in villages, sometimes in cities, sometimes in nations, and sometimes between nations. You got me, I'll get you. You got me, I'll get you. And then God dies and says, now the past can be the past. And I will open up heaven towards you and I will open up your future and now you can step into my future without the past being a boogeyman. Because Paul had gotten Christians killed, if you might remember. No right to even be in church, let alone be an apostle. But because of that, he goes, I go hard for God every day because I get to through the cross. And so for me, you know, I'm just like a lot of people. You can wake up afraid, <laughs> fear of failure. Anybody ever struggle with fear of failure? Yeah, like a real struggle. What if I fail as a pastor today? So I wake up and I'm like, that's it. I'm a failed pastor. I choose, I, I, choose, I accept that label. I already suck. Any good things that I might have done, gone. Jesus, help me serve you today because the past is gone failure is going to serve me by the grace of god this is great brothers and sisters our failures get to serve us in jesus you fall down that's great you get to get up stronger if you'll do it by faith this is where i'm at i'm just like anytime i blow it What's the plan, Lord, for doing this better next time? You come back stronger. You come back fighting. You come back with Jesus because his life is in you. He died, but he didn't stay dead. So you can be freer than ever before. Uh Uh-oh is right. (laughs) 
So I've got some meat here. If anybody has a really big dog, you can talk to me about this. Okay, the band is going to come up, and I'm going to explain the purpose behind this message. I would like to help flood Steinbeck full of the humblest Christians of all time. I know from experience that many of us are really weighed down with fear and judgment. Fear of judgment and judging other people. These things are weights and they are killing us. Steinbeck should be the untapped resource of the kingdom of God in all of Canada. Our churchgoer to population count is off the charts. Why aren't we doing better? While we all have long lists of how other Christians have hurt us and given us permission to not be amazingly on fire for Jesus. Cut off your hand. Everything but on fire from Jesus needs to go in the fire for Jesus. We're not who we could become yet. Amen? We're not who we could be in Jesus yet. And I'm just really excited for our future together. Father God, would you grant us the humility of Christ? I worship you, Jesus. Every day you get like a billion sins against you. And you carry it and forgive so much of it. You are amazing. I want to be like you. Would you help us, Lord? I feel like, Lord, when I've been talking about this, there's like the voice has been coming up in people's hearts. And I pray you would help people see those voices, those experiences, those things are not them in you. And they can go by the power of Jesus and his resurrection life. Father, where we've been falling into the trap of judging, feeling like judging makes us safer, feeling like judging is actually doing good when it isn't, would you set our hearts free to be powerful kingdom ambassadors? And Lord, I pray you'd help us to be like Paul, just getting at it today with Jesus. For your glory, amen.